great if um, if they showed things in TV commercials the way they really are. For example, wouldn't it be great if they showed gas station men the way they really are instead of those square-jawed guys who are always ready to leap out there and clean everything, polish off your glasses, they stand there and hold your hand, and if your motor drops out, they're ready there to put it back in with scotch tape. And then when when the car drives away, you know, the music comes up. And a guy looks off into the distance, you know. He's the same guy, you know, as this beautiful, handsome man with clear blue eyes. You know, the kind of guy that you see wearing those big sweaters in the men's clothing supplement in the New York Times. And there he is all of a sudden running a gas station. They say, yes, you can be sure when you see the man behind the pump who slumber on. My little gypsy sweetheart. All right, there, gang. You just keep that there in abeyance, sir, because we're going to have to use that in case of emergency. Because, you see, I had a little experience, Walt. Saturday night, I go into one of these famous stations, you know, that always advertises its magnificent, ever-ready service, 24 hours, night and day. You come into that man, yeah, you know, when you see the right emblem. So I say, well, there's the right emblem. I got a flat, see? So I go in there, and this, 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 little, this little character wearing a hood and with his nose running, you know, he comes out, and I say, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'd like to have a flat tire fixed. <laughs> yeah, there's a brief pause, and he says, hey, you're putting me on, Mac? I said, no, I, I, want a, I want a flat tire fixed. And there's a long pause, and he says, go fix your own tire. What do you think I am, Dad? For crying out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah, serviced with a smile, right, George? Well, then, then I could see the rest of the crew standing around all stubble bedecked, spitting and hawking away there, chewing tobacco and drinking Cokes. So I go, <laughs> I go into the, I go into the station itself, you know, and it has the outside looks very jazzy and just like the TV commercials. I get inside there and they're playing craps. So as I, as I get inside, I say, uh, <clears throat> Uh, 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 fellas, I, 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 uh, I've got a flat tire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a large, heavy-set man wearing a hat sideways on his head. He'd been drinking heavily. Looks up to me and says, Ah, uh, what do you want us to do? Cry? <sighs> so I turned on my heel and headed for the next one. I wish I knew the words to that atrocity. I'd sing that. Boy, would that bug Mr. Leader. Man, you think he got mad when I sang the Buick song. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, that was a nice time there. But, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, of this, wouldn't it be great if they really showed beer parties the way they really are instead of the, all these clean-looking limb youth types running around saying, All right, here we go. It's Valentine, Valentine, Rikitatin, oh, little gypsy sweetheart. Why? Can't you just see this commercial opening up and it's dark and stygy and, you know, it's real 
you sort of, sort of, you know, you can just, just feel that, that rotten feeling of a lot of headaches all going on at once. And then, then as in the darkness, you see, the guy, there's no, no voices. You know, I, I've got an idea for a real great beer commercial. In the darkness, it, it, the, the camera slowly opens up. It's, it's a 58 second commercial, you know, in between, uh, in between extra points in the football game or something. And the announcer says, now the score stands at 17 to 5 in favor of the New York Giants. And now we'll be back in just a moment. And then out it comes, it's dark, you see. And the announcer says, we are now looking in on a, on a factual beer party that was celebrated last night with whoopee beer. It's a long, dark shot. And all of a sudden, you hear a guy in the background. Aah! Aah! And somebody says, well, oh, will you help him to the door for crying out all over the street? Hey! Real commercials, you know, the stuff really moves. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then, 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 can you imagine? Have you noticed how these people, uh, when have you, well, here's another typical commercial, the automobile commercial. You've noticed that almost in every instance, there is a clean-limbed young man sitting next to a magnificent chick. And they are driving what appears to be on an endless, magnificent highway that is tree-lined forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, do I have to tell you what it's like, really, fellas? Huh? Any of you guys? No, I don't, do I? No, I don't. And, and, and then how, have you seen these people that are going into their friendly bank for that friendly instant loan? Oh boy. Have you tried to cash even your own paycheck at one of these friendly banks? <laughs> You've got a friend, all right. I'll tell you. <laughs> now, I'm wondering what kind of a dream world we live in, in the commercials. Now, I, I, what, what really interests me is, is the people sitting out there watching these. All of them drive cars, and all, most of them anyway, and most of them have tried to get a, a carburetor fixed at 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and when one of these... What, what, what is it? Do, how, do, do they make any relationship between what they see on the screen and what's out there in the world? I guess not. It's like a movie, you know? It's like some kind of a movie. You don't, have you ever noticed a more jovial set of plumbers all played by out-of-work Broadway comic character actors, those plumbers you see, those guys. Have you ever those, those, those old duffers that come around and tell you about using Ajax and stuff? Where this gets rid of the deep stage. You don't need a plumber, madam. <laughs> Get rid of the deep... Yeah. How long has it been since you had a friendly plumber in your house, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. And, and yet, yet, we, we sit there and we watch these things and somehow they make sense. And you know that lady in that clean, you know, the Mr. Clean commercial? Did you ever see a more filthy house? What is she doing on that floor? Did you ever see anything like that? <whistles> what a bunch of pigs. She doesn't need Mr. Clean. She needs a flamethrower. That is really disgusting. I'm telling you. And, <laughs> and you know, it goes on and on and on. I, 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 uh, I'm curious about that. Uh, what, what, of course, the relationship between reality and, and what we live in is always interesting. I, I, I uh, with this business with the flat tire, is just one other time. I, I remember friendly. You know, I'll never forget the time I go into this friendly gas station. See, it's one of these ones that advertises as fantastic, friendly people. Well, so I go in there, see, and they've got an automatic pump. You know, the kind they just stick it into your gas tank and let it go, and it's supposed to turn off. So I go in there, and, and he sticks the thing into the into the gas tank. Blah, 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 ding, 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 it's gone. 
Well, this thing is going ding, 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 like so. You know, it's going ding, dong, ding. And I'm sitting in the car, and I begin to smell gas. And it's been dinging away there for half an hour. It's ding, dong, boing, ding, ding, ding. And I get out funny, and I'm knee-deep in gas. You know, that friendly extra-octane gasoline is now sloshing around my ankles. The thing has put in about 19 and a half gallons, you know, in my little six-gallon tank or whatever. And it's still dinging away in the wall, and the gas is squirting out the back. So I run, you know, I run into the, I run into the gas station. Hey, man, hey, oh, hey. Well, I can't find the guy. You know, they're always under the grease rack or something or out in the back. Hey, hey, man, man, hey. Well, finally he comes out. All the while it's going ding, ding, ding. Shh, the stuff is squirting. Ding, dong, ding. Well, then he finally runs around to the side of the pump. He throws it down. Boing. He says, that'll twenty twenty one dollars and seventy five cents. I said, what do you mean? It's all over your crummy gas station. Look at it's flowing down the turnpike. He says, yeah, well, all right, it's 21 on a meter. What do you expect me to do, pay for it, Mac? They come in and check this thing every day. They come in here. I know. I just work here. It's 21.75. What do you mean, 21? The water, the gas is sloshing around my ankles. Well, this went on for a good two and a half hours, you know. What do you mean, 21.75? I'll call the cops. Yeah. You just keep your eye out for that white insignia there. You'll just go in there, Dad, and you'll get it right behind the ear. <laughs> and then there was another one. I'll tell you, in, the, in, in another one of the gas stations I went into, the same, the same gas station that, that they, they almost blew their gasket when I asked them to fix my, uh, my tire, there was a lady sitting in a car. And, oh, boy, smoke was coming out of her ears. She was sitting in the car, and there were two guys looking into her opened hood. They were just sort of leaning. And a third guy is coming over to look in the window to her. And she says, now, look, this has been three hours. She says, why don't you just admit you don't know what you're doing? Why don't you just tell me you don't know how to fix it, that you're just fooling around, and let me go to some place where I can get it fixed? And there, there's a long pause, and the guy says, what do you mean, lady, you're trying to tell us we don't know our business? She says, I don't know whether you know your business or not, but for two and a half, three hours I've been sitting here, and it's still boiling over. And there's a long, long, another pregnant pause. He says, look, lady, are you going to try to get out of paying for all the hours we put in on this thing? She says, no, let me pay and I'll go. Just let me pay and I'll go, that's all. And away she went, smoke pouring out of the front of her car, steam coming out of the gas pipe. It's just a question, you know. I wonder whether we whether we think these things or not. Oh yes, uh, speaking of friendly service, this is WOR, AM and FM in New York, and uh, whew, it's exciting. We'll be here. <laughs> we'll be here until. Well, till they blow the whistle, and uh, they blow the whistle in this business, and uh, we have here, uh, speaking of whistleblowers, we have this uh, pottery of all nations. And boy, let me tell you, if you are getting a little desperate about Christmas shopping, this is a, a, a genuine word of advice. I would like to recommend that if you are coming into New York, please remember the name pottery of all nations. There are three of them. And they literally do have pottery and cookingware and stainless steelware and all kinds of things from all over the world. And fantastic Christmas gifts at savings of an incredible nature, literally. And it is truly imported and, and a lot of fine stuff that you won't find anywhere else in New York City at prices you won't believe. 
And this, this is really true. You'll find three of them. One is on Sheridan Square. And incidentally, they just serve coffee there. You just fool around all day. And there's a sign in there that says, please handle everything. And <laughs> they mean it, you know. This is a Sheridan Square, Pottery of All Nations. That's on 7th Avenue South. There's one over in Paramus on Route 4. And then there's one on Lexington Avenue at 64th. And they are open Saturdays. And they are open late. So, Pottery of All Nations, man. Okay? Let's see. We have with us the Xmas Fund. If you'd like to send in a buck or two to make Mr. Leader's Christmas nicer, you have to send it to Box 710. That's uh, Box 710, Times Square Station, New York. It's the WOR Children's Christmas Fund. Now, we have plenty of kids working here at WOR. And, uh, of course, they're not children chronologically, but that's not how we measure children anymore in this world. Is it, friends? <laughs> no, no. Uh, we'll be here. <laughs> Gee, I'm awful tonight. We'll be here for a while. And, uh, let's see. But, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, uh, there, there are, there are many things in the wind. Really things in the wind. Uh, let me see here. I got, I got a, I got a genuine straw in the wind. I'm, I'm keeping all these things for my, for my, uh, for my special trivia file here, which I'm going to submit to the Library of Congress. What did I do? I left that somewhere. Crying out loud. How about that? My most important piece of trivia of the day, and I leave it. Well, it's all right. Oh, yes, here it is. Here it is. Here's this, this, this one will hold you. Yeah, and it, in a way, it's connected with the, uh, with the whole, the whole business of what we, uh, of what we do versus what we, what we say we do, you know? And I think the commercials are like that. I think most commercial places, most guys that make commercials, are really trying to, in a way, overcompensate for the very thing that they know they haven't got. And so if you hear an outfit that is really, really banging home the point that they're friendly, well, <laughs> you just, you just know, you know, there's been a lot of worrying around the front office. JP, you know, there's a lot of people are getting mad at the way the clerks are hitting people when they come in. What do you So the next thing you know, they make a commercial telling how lovely they are. But they don't ever get down, you know, the word never gets down to the clerk. In fact, <laughs> so, so you will find, generally speaking, that, that, uh, that in the commercial world, the very thing that people are worried about, you'll, you'll find, is the thing that is generally sold to people. In other words, We'll take a look at the cigarette commercials. Why, if you were just to look at the cigarette commercials casually, you would believe that one of the great panaceas for that which ails you is about seven cartons of, you know? That's the truth. You never saw healthier people in your life. Did you ever see anything like that? The wind is blowing through their hair, and they're galloping around on horses, and their cheeks are rosy, and their eyes are sparkling, and they're obviously making it with everybody conceivable of the whole horizon. You see, you, and, and of course, the implication is from you know what, you know. That's right, you know, with the tips there, the filters, and all the whole scene going. Well, so, so you, this is this is always the case. If you notice that hardly anybody who ever drinks beer is fat in commercials. And yet every last beer drinker I know has got fat hanging on his ears even. Just a fact, you know. Just a general fact. <laughs> and, 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 there's, it's, it's, and, and have you noticed also, too, that, that, uh, that people who advertise girdles? Yeah, they need girdles, all right. You notice those people, they all weigh about 74 pounds. They're about, about nine feet tall. They need girdles. Yeah. <laughs> and it shows them putting on the girdle, you know, and it's a big thing what the girdle does for them. And, and yet, actually, the fat people who need the girdles never show up on commercials. 
So, so you know, just just wait. Cars, there's another one. Oh, what, cars? Oh, boy. You know, the one thing that almost every guy who, who has driven any cars in the last five or six years will tell you, they're made out of Reynolds wrap. No, this is the truth. They really are, Dad. And if you don't think so, you ought to ask your insurance guy. Oh, boy. I'm telling you, you, you look hard at one of these things, and they got a dent in the trunk. They, they really do. They just fold up. You can. One guy put his hand through a fender here a couple of weeks ago on 84th Street. Yeah, just leaning, you know, going right through, he goes. New car. Well, well, yet you will find that in the commercials, they stress one thing. Rugged durability. Yes, this car is built to go and go and go and go and go. And, of course, you know, there it is. The rain, it washes away in, in real life. <laughs> Seven minutes after you got the car, the, 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 the chrome has got all pockmarks on it and rust. And, you know, yeah, I mean, let's face it. We all know it. You know, I'm not saying anything against anybody here. So they're getting mad. You work in an agency. And you know what's, what's so funny? Is some guy is going to get real mad and call up if I'm an agency. And he's got a car with pockmarked chrome. <laughs> and he's also a beer drinker, you know, and he wears a size 48 belt. You know, he's calling him. <laughs> and his wife is a girdle wearer, a size 36. You know, that kind of thing. And so, what is it? What are we trying to hide from each other? You know, we're all in this together. We all know a few basic facts of life. It's the truth, you know. And, and, and yet, yet time and time again, and you'll find, <laughs> well, of course, it goes in men's clothing. It goes into, uh, in almost every area. Uh, have you noticed one? It was an ad the other day, for example, about men's perfume. Well, you know, that's a pretty esoteric uh, subject there. Men's perfume. They weren't selling, you know, there was some perfume there. And this perfume was, was sold, and the ad said, for men who like women, it said. That's just the way it said it with exclamation points. So, well, they were a little worried, you know. They were a little worried about what was being said around. So, so they had to say, <laughs> you know, it's always, so you can always be sure that exactly the opposite is true. Well, well it's a... <laughs> oh, I'm, t- I'm awful tonight. That's a terrible thing. We better start telling you Christmas stories. Speaking of Christmas stories, here's one from Morris Township for those of you. This is going right into my vast trivia file. And a thousand years from now, they'll know how it is. Morris Township. you know anything about friendly little Morris Township? Of course. There is no more American place than Morris. This is the land. This is the land. Believe me. This, this, this really is, is drum majorettesville. It's the whole scene. Pom-pom twirlers and young clean-limbed football players and they run around. Oh, yes, you never saw anything like it in Morris Township. And of course, I want to read, uh, can you imagine what a nice little, uh, a half-hour vignette, a Christmas vignette this would make on TV? Morris Township, boys and girls in the Township Junior Rifle Club. Maybe I better adopt my Jersey accent, huh? Morris Township. Boys and girls in the Township Junior Rifle Club will aim at pictures of Santa Claus in their annual Merry Christmas shoot on December 20th. They will use Santa Claus pictures as their targets. Other Christmas targets will be free ornaments, cards, and small boxes wrapped as presents. The club, sponsored by the Township Recreation Commission, has 90 members aged 11 to 18. Shooting with 22 caliber rifles will take place at the range in the National Guard Armory in Western Avenue. The target boxes with pictures of Santa Claus on them will contain slips of paper instructing young marksmen to select Christmas presents bought with money raised by members through various projects throughout the year. I can think of no better way to celebrate Christmas, kiddies, than shooting at pictures of Santa Claus. 
and other Christmas presents and other wonderful little Christmas sentiments. And so we march on and a Merry Christmas to all of you. Right forever there. Sit there. Well, I, I uh, have this friend who's doing a piece on, uh, he's a newspaper writer, and he's doing this piece on Christmas uh, Santa Clauses. And he said that the Santa Clauses, it's, it's so rotten being a Santa Claus these days with these tough kids that are coming around. Do you know that in, in the big stores here in New York now, that a Santa Claus has one hour of work and three hours off all day? He is off three hours for every hour he's on. And boy, do they yell, those kids. And he said, <laughs> he says, not only do they yell, the, the, the most important change that has come about, according to old veteran Santa Clausers, the old, the old players, the big change is that now the kids don't ask for a fire truck. They'll ask for a brand name. And it's all brand names all the way down. Claude Kirshner has triumphed. <laughs> You know, <laughs> oh boy, I'll tell you. Yes, he did. He, he hit the jackpot this year. We finally proved to the industry. So, uh, and and of course, that's a little embarrassing when 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 Santa Claus is working for a store that doesn't handle that brand, and uh, <laughs> it goes on and on and on. But then, then uh, you know, this is just the way it is. Now, do you know that that one of the most interesting little things that a kid can get this time this year for Christmas is a teddy bear? that carries a gun. Teddy bear is well-armed. And if you hit it in the right place with your gun, the bear runs around and screams. Yeah, go, ah, 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 and then finally falls right over flat dead and a little imitation blood with vitamin B12 in it. <laughs> Stop it, gang. Yes, we're moving along with Christmas. Oh, of course, there's a lot of things about uh, the, uh, the Christmas scene that that uh, have uh, been 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 moving and uh, going forward. I uh, there's a lot of talk, of course, about the about the weaponry today in Christmas uh, the Christmas world, and I and and I think that most people are kind of missing the point. You know, they think if they ban weapons, they will somehow ban the urge that has come about, which makes it possible to make all the kids want the weapons. I don't know. The prohibitionists tried that a few years ago. <laughs> there was a lot of lapping it up in the basement that went on. <laughs> I guess what'll happen is, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who uh, who views with alarm, however, because you can't really view it with alarm because that's the way it is. Really, you know, it's it's that that I have never once, and and I and I hope nobody has misinterpreted me. I have never once said that any other time was any better than this time. All I have ever said is that we are continually evolving and changing, and in many ways getting more interesting and more outward. So even though a kid might have wanted to carry a Tommy gun to school a few years ago, now he does. That's about the only difference. And uh, it's you know it's a, it's it's a it's it's heading towards some interesting uh, repercussions. You know that there's an A bomb game that you can get. Oh yeah. Where you can practice a-bombing your friends. Sure, yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of... It, you play it uh, with an a-bomb. You play... You know, of course, I, I think that one of the great dangers of our time is the fact that we are, as uh, I'm talking about adults, I'm talking about people who produce things, who, uh, by produce things, I mean guys that make toys, there are people who 
who uh, produce movies. There are guys who produce LPs and, and so on, all up and down the line, produce nightclub shows and so on. That we have begun to take real events and real situations and make them into a show business gambit, a big gimmick. I just wonder how many toy companies were stuck with all kinds of satirical games about the late President Kennedy that were, that were stuck with millions of those that were ready for the Xmas market. Uh, and all of them, of course, were not only satirical, but were all vaguely, and vaguely, most of them completely disrespectful. Completely, uh, not only disrespectful, but uh, in some ways uh, reducing uh, the presidency and the world events to the nature of something that can be played with in a two-and-a-half-hour game with everybody on Saturday night in the beer. And, of course, this, this adds, then, to the great sense of unreality that people have when real events occur. Uh, so they're playing all the time A-bomb, or they're playing all the time uh, <laughs> international. You know, there's, there's games that are based on cornering the Internet, like uh, uh, taking over the world. You know, literally, there are games called uh, world domination, things of that nature. Well, I, I wonder what the people who play these games, what their attitude is towards real plans for world domination. Do they think they're also big gambits, big showbiz bits? <laughs> I think we're the only, the only uh, nation ever to sell rubber masks of world leaders where you can walk around and wear a Khrushchev head if you want to. You know, this is true. I don't think you can... I, I, I wonder if you can buy those in China. You can walk around with, a, with a, say, a, a Lyndon Johnson head on your you know, rubber one. Or if you can walk around with, a, you know, with a Mao Zedong head. Have you seen those hats? You haven't. Oh, they're a big deal, sure. Uh, so the, the, even though a lot of people will, will uh, are inclined to say, well, that doesn't mean anything, I disagree completely. I say that all these things are highly indicative of something, and not only highly indicative, that they're also very... Uh, they can also not only be indicative of things, they can also form things in their own right. Now, now one of the, one of the big problems today is the... <clears throat> You know the old, the old title, the old Jimmy Dean movie, Rebel Without a Cause? One of the real problems today is the, liber is the liberal without a cause, or the angry man without a cause. I shouldn't even use the term liberal. It's just the word, the angry man without a cause. Uh, the, the years ago, an angry man was generally kind of left. He, he just kind of leaned towards the great mass. Well, today, the angry man has become sort of... Uh, He's become uh, disenchanted with the mass. He feels he's better than the mass. And furthermore, he feels that socialism and communism has failed pretty much. It's been discredited. And, and yet he can't become right. So he, he, he's stuck there. In, in the, but he's still got the mind of an angry guy. You see? So he doesn't know what to do. So generally, you'll find these people will be angry about great generalities now. They'll be, say, anti-war. They'll be very angry about war which is roughly analogous to the old days when a politician said he loved mothers. You know, <laughs> it's easy to be anti-war. It's easy to be pro-peace. Those are the easiest things to be anti and pro you can find. Uh, and so you'll hear guys, very uh, well-meaning guys, are constantly being interviewed on, on uh, radio shows and television shows, movie makers, and they'll say, Wow, I feel that the time has come to make a really... Uh, a really hard-hitting, truthful, uh, anti-war movie. Hard-hitting, truthful, anti-war movie. Come on. 
I don't think you have to convince many people that war isn't good, you know. <laughs> I mean, the assumption always is made that there's large numbers of people who who like it, you know. And that's that's one of those great clichés, one of those great, uh, you know, one of those big things that hang there. But nevertheless, uh, this is a constantly recurring theme among the producers and the people who are continually being very honest and very hard-hitting and very, very brave. It's very brave to be anti-war. So, so generally what's happened is that the people who have the angry uh, frame of mind, and the, the real angry people, is that they have begun to be angry at not the causes, because that can be very embarrassing when you start talking about the causes of war. They you largely ignore that. And so they become angry at the instruments of war which is very easy to do. It's like being angry. It's like being anti-machine gun. You know, anti-machine gun. Or, uh, <laughs> so as you carry it further, it's anti-bomb. As though the only reason there are wars is because we got a bomb. This is a very, uh, a very sophomoric attitude towards wars. Have you noticed that almost all of the anti-war movies recently have not even admitted the existence of Hitler? There have been about a dozen of them to show you that war is a terrible thing. But not one of them said that there was a Hitler around that made it, unfortunately, imperative that the world either go to war or else the alternative was a pretty bad scene. Uh, you know, it's like being anti-police but ignoring the fact there are murderers. So there you are. That's, uh, that's one, of the, one of the great cop-outs. Yeah, I noticed this in several. First of all, I noticed this in, uh, in Heller's book, Catch-22. is an anti-war book, but nowhere does it admit... That, that, you know, uh, the, the war, unfortunately, was there. I mean, there's something that's even more uh, obscene than war. I, I kind of think Dachau was a little more obscene than war. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it was, at least. And that may be an old-fashioned attitude, but it seemed to me that it was. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I'm, 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 these, these, this is another one of the syndromes of our time. It's... it's uh, and, it, and it, takes, it takes many forms. It takes so many forms that, uh, that the forms are so multitudinous that in the end the pattern is almost impossible to discern. It's like uh, people who will become anti the president. Uh, and this, this was certainly evident a, a few months before uh, Mr. Kennedy's uh, tragedy, that there were many people who were anti the president because they didn't seem to like what was going on in the country. In other words, uh, it was as though uh, the president somehow had something to do with the race problem and the president somehow had something to do with the fact that a lot of guys are unhappy because of, of automation and one thing and another. It's, it's constantly confusing one thing for the other. This is, this is going on continually. I saw a movie here a few weeks back which was hurriedly withdrawn from uh, premiership because, because of Mr. Kennedy's tragedy. But it was, it was another one in, in the long line, and a lot of people will like it, you see, assuming that the reason we have wars is because we've got generals. Oh, yes. This is one of the great misconceptions among the anti-war people. And they'll sit there and look you right in the eye and say that's true, that the, that the generals, they'll look you, and they, and they keep saying such fantastic cliches like, like war makes guys who like to be fighters and like to fight. I heard poor little Eli Wallach say that the other night. Uh, most guys who say these things haven't really been around much of a war, but, but they constantly say that. And yet some of the most uh, sadly peaceful guys have been great warriors. An example is Ike. 
They're crying out loud. Ike, Ike, <laughs> Ike's idea of doing something about terrible situation was sending a, a condolence note or, uh, you know, something of that nature. When, when Yeah, you know, this is true. It, uh, people continually, continually ignore the reality of what men are. They, they walk around with a cliché in their mind, and by George, that world, that, those people had better fit that cliché or else then they just ignore it. That's it. Uh, and so, so uh, the, the assumption is that, that all of our generals are raving maniacs. This is one of the newest gambits of the fail-safe crowd. Well, that's not true. Uh, just not true. I've known, I've known several in my time, and I, and I know this is just a complete falsehood. But it's a, it's a desire to make a point, and the point will be made regardless of reality. It's like the anti-fuzz crowd. Uh, there's another group who will just be anti-police. And uh, they, they just, they hate it when a policeman does something good to them. You know, they get really mad. I knew one girl that chased a cop's horse for over a block and a half, hoping the horse would step on her so she could holler police brutality. You know, <laughs> that's the truth. I'm telling you a true story. I'm not making it up. And, and uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's one of the, one of the interesting things of our day and age. We just got to find something. Now, in, in a current issue of one of the men's magazines, there is a long, very scurrilous, and I think also a very untrue blast at one of the religions by a so-called comic. Now, for some reason or other, this is applauded when it, when it appears on that way. And yet, these same people are always saying, you know, what we should have is racial tolerance, we should have religious tolerance. And so it's come full circle to the point now where you can, in public, literally blast somebody's religion in the most unfair, totally untrue terms, just completely, and be applauded for it. If it's certain religions, remember, that's very important. If it's certain religions. And uh, other religions you couldn't touch. You just can't. And uh, it's, uh, it's very, uh, there it is. There it is. I, I wondered, you know, I read, I read one of these, uh, I read this uh, particular piece, and I was fascinated. The, the first thing that came to my mind was how, how the world is, is, uh, is not only not doing away with hate, it's making it more prominent, very more prominent, and it's become now a national uh, business. It really literally has. And I thought of a friend of mine who was killed in the war, a kid who I, I uh, grew up with. You've heard me mention Paul Schwartz from time to time. Well, he was killed in the war. He was killed, uh, let's see, he was 19, I believe, at the time. And he was a, uh, a navigator. And he was killed over Italy. And the first thing that hit me was, I wonder if he were to read a magazine like this now, uh, the years after he's been killed, if somehow he could come back and read this, I wonder if he could conceivably believe that it was the same country who got very angry when other people got up and talked things, you know, and said things about religions and one thing and another, others, other religions. It's very interesting. I doubt it very much. That in the earlier days, when I'm talking about earlier days, I'm talking about the early days of hate <laughs> as a product, that hate was always a marginal thing. It was always sold by guys who had to sell it on street corners with snub, uh, very smudgy mimeograph pieces of paper. You know what I mean, Walt? Hate was sold by guys who recognized the fact they were selling hate, and people who bought it knew they were. And they would buy smudgy things on street corners, or they would go down into dark little basements and have angry hate meetings and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But now, hate is being sold as the truth. 
It's an interesting new twist. And it's being sold by big, nationally publicized magazines and movies, one thing or another. And it's, it's all... It's, all, it's a new kind of hate, very difficult to, to ascertain, because we always assume that hate is one kind in this country, that it's racial. Generally, we like to assume that it's, it's uh, let's say, it's anti-Negro. This is what we like to assume that hate is. Well, there are all kinds of hate. Uh, there are many kinds of hate, and the more subtle ones are the ones that are not recognized as hate. They're generally applauded by the population at large at any given time, that it's being done. For example, the great example of that, of course, in, in, in recent history is during uh, the great, uh, the great, uh, and I say that very editorially, the, gr- the quote, great days of the Nazis in the 30s, that to be anti-Jewish in uh, Germany was not considered a hate at all. These guys said they were dealing with truth. You know, it was always truth. It was always applauded by the population at large. Oh, yeah. And yet, yet we're doing pretty much the same thing in other areas. That the, that, the, that the real hate that is evidenced throughout the country in many ways is not the ones that we're all conscious of and fighting against. It's something else, other kinds. And those are the subtle ones because they will grow and grow and seem to be growing even as we watch them grow. I remember about a year or so ago before the recent tragedy, uh, I did two or three shows on that subject of this growing violent hate that was neither right-wing nor left-wing, but another group entirely. And uh, a lot of people got all excited and wrote in and said, well, this is alarmist stuff. And those same people, after the, after the uh, disaster, wrote in and said, well, maybe perhaps you, <laughs> you might have, uh, there might be possibly something growing here. Well, uh, of course, we have a great tendency in this country to isolate things as though they are not part of a larger, and I'm not talking about plot at all, no, not at all, not part of a larger body of opinion or growth of something. In short, if, uh, if uh, we have a situation that occurs, say, in one block, we just say, well, that was that nut. That's all. That was that nut. Well, if we look around and we see that it's happening on all fronts. Did you hear about this kid the other day with the automobile? A couple of days ago. That's a very interesting story. Read very carefully about that story. And have you noticed that the one, the one growing thing with the new, with the new uh, violent people is a complete detachment from it. A, uh, the old, the old uh, like Dillinger never pretended he was anything but a killer. No, he didn't. He really didn't. Now, I'm not saying that Dillinger was more honest, but he did. He came out of another time, and when Dillinger robbed the bank, he just robbed the bank, and that was the end of it. But today, the, the man who, who performs a violent deed will often absolutely go to his, uh, he, he will go to his dying day denying he did it. Just, he had nothing to do with it. And that's the end of it. That's, and, and, of course, he knows that large numbers of people then will side with him. It's an interesting problem. Uh, because we do have a feeling today that, that, uh, that, that it is impossible to be a criminal. That the, that the people who transgress are invariably victims rather than uh, aggressors. It's a fascinating new psychology. In short, you will find far more television shows that tell you to understand the murderer and hardly any shows that talk about weeping a few tears for the murdered. It's a new kind of worship of violence. It's a kind of sympathizing with violence that I'm talking about here. 
it's a, it's it's a, it's a, again and uh, and I'm not I'm not arguing one way or the other regarding uh, the psychoanal- psychoanalytical problems regarding the murderer. It's an unfortunate fact that they are here. But then on the other hand, so are people who are not murderers. And uh, it's a question of which one is going to get hurt, really, in the end. Uh, I, uh, I, I, felt, I felt, of course, this, 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 you're getting into, this is a highly complex situation here. The gradual, the gradual changing of an attitude towards uh, good and evil in this country and a, and a shift. And those words are never used anymore, by the way, in this country. Those words have disappeared. Uh, aggression appears occasionally. That word is used often. Uh, you'll hear other words, but the words good and evil have completely, almost completely disappeared. And so because of this, because of the failure of our, of our society, and I'm talking about the whole complex of industrial society all over the world, including Russia, because of the, the this new thing, it is possible to, to, uh, to contemplate and to carry out Unbelievable, fantastic transgressions on dignity and even on life and limb without ever the slightest feeling of conscience. Because once you've eliminated conscience, and that's another word that hardly ever is used, once you've eliminated conscience, you've also eliminated a lot of other things. You also eliminated the right, eliminated the right to complain, uh, <laughs> which is probably the most subtle of all, the, uh, the, the eliminations that come about when this great erasure process goes on. But nevertheless, uh, uh, the, the time, it, it goes on. And, and again, I'm, I, I have to give as a, as a kind of a, uh, I have to give always as a kind of, uh, oh, uh, I suppose you can say a, a footnote to it, that this is not decrying the good old days versus the bad new days. Not at all. This is just an evolution in mankind. And I believe as more and more our technical progress goes forward, so goes something else. I have a feeling that man be, is really being formed by his machines rather than he forms his machines. That there has never been yet a machine that had even the slightest conscience. But there have been very smart ones and very violent ones. And I think that as we are becoming more and more like our machines, so will we, we will become more like them that way in subtler ways. We're certainly growing bigger. The New York Times had a whole piece on that in the magazine section. Physically bigger, you know. So so are bulldozers. So are buildings. You know. So are crimes, too, by the way. W.O.R. Radio, your station for news. This Christmas Eve, thousands of hospitalized children in the W.O.R. listening area will be dreaming of Santa Claus and of presents. With your help, those dreams will come true. Please send a check or a money order to the W.O.R. Children's Christmas Fund, Box 710, Times Square Station, New York. Make your Christmas merrier by sharing. Thank you. This is WORAM and FM, your RKO General Station in New York. Next, Long John Neville at midnight.
Ladies and gentlemen, because the following five-hour period has been set aside for necessary weekly maintenance of WOR-FM, we now conclude broadcasting activities until five o'clock this morning when we shall present the program Sunrise Serenade. The program Long John Neville usually presented at this time can be heard on WOR Radio AM at 710 on your radio dial. Frequency modulation station WOR-FM is owned and operated by RKO General Incorporated with offices and studios at 1440 Broadway in New York City with additional studios in the Empire State Building at 355th Avenue, corner of 34th Street in Manhattan. WOR-FM broadcasts at an assigned frequency of 98.7 megacycles with transmitter complex high atop the Empire State Building. During the time we are on the air, WORFM carries the scheduled programs of WORAM. Now, on behalf of the management and the staff of WORFM, this is Carl Warren bidding you all a very good night and a very good morning. Now, our national anthem. <laughs> 